Hello. This is Dr. Philip Brown and Dr. Terry Jackson, and welcome to The Intersection, where intent, impact, inquiry inspire our conversations. Dr. Philip Brown and Terry Jackson, and we are at The Intersection. What is interesting is we all experience many intersections daily. We experience intersections at work, at home, at church, at play. How we handle those intersections will determine the trajectory of our day and our life. Unlikely Intersections is the name of this show. How are you today, Dr. Brown? Never better, never better. And I was just thinking about the unlikeliest intersection uh, that we've had in 500 years, you know, was the 500-year storm, yeah. which was Florence, which was also our unlikely intersection as two native Wilmingtonians who met really doing relief in the mm -hmm. aftermath of Florence. Mm -hmm. uh, what a great story that really makes. Yeah, it was. I remember that day. A great story over chicken, right? Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of them are. Yes, <laughs> yes. We were out... Um, helping a friend, mutual friend, as he was uh, feeding those who unfortunately didn't have food as a, as a um, result of the storm. And uh, this big white pickup truck pulled up. And uh, I'm standing there, and I'm like, who's this in the truck? About five or six people get out. And who is it other than you, your family? And I think uh, it's Joe? Joe Conway. Joe, that's Absolutely. right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So that was, oh yeah, the conversation, the food, and it was an unlikely intersection that that's happened that's you know helped us uh, develop our um, relationship, and more importantly than that, man, found out that you attended New Hanover High School. You were a Wildcat, and I'm a Viking. So the, the rivalry, rivalry continues, right? That's right. Absolutely, that's it's, right. Uh, that stuff is real for those of us that come from Wilmington, no matter how. Uh, wide we range right like That's i right. know you've done global work and i've been all over the state and country and no matter what those rivalries still that's right still that's right. stand right that's right it's uh friendly uh, but nonetheless serious yes very <laughs> serious i think we started discussing um some of the people that we knew in common right uh, uh i think it was rondro boney kenny gaddison and, and then i found out who your father was uh coach mike brown and i was like wow you know, because I was a big admirer of your father for the teams that he built in the 70s as I would go watch the Christmas tournaments. Yeah, you know, that those teams were really special. We had Clarence Key, Walter Anderson, Calvin Slappy, a lot of other guys. And they, were, they just were really good players in that era. Mm -hmm. And it really changed a lot on the basketball landscape because Walter Anderson ended up going to Appalachian State and playing for a guy named Bobby Crimmins. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, Walter Anderson's teams made it to the NCAA tournament mm -hmm. from Appalachian State, mm -hmm. which paved the way for Bobby Crimmins to go to Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And so by 1985, Bobby Crimmins had won an ACC championship mm -hmm. at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And that really just changed, I mean, People that are seen all the time now, like John Sally, was mm -hmm. a part of those teams that played for Bobby Crimmins. And you think, without those intersections, would any of that stuff have happened? That's right. right? That's right. That's right. And I, did, I didn't like that Georgia Tech team because I was a Carolina fan, right? 
And, you know, those guys were, those were great teams down there with Crimmins. And I remember him at Appalachian State with Walt. And I actually wondered, why did Walter Anderson go to Appalachian State? Because a lot of teams were uh, recruiting him. However, um, he chose Appalachian State. And uh, they had great teams there in the NCAAs. But I guess that was an unlikely intersection for him, too. A guy from uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, down on the coast, going up into the mountains, right? Unfamiliar territory that he actually uh, was discovering for himself and uh, I'm sure for, for his family. It's like you and I, you know, having these, all these people in common, right, and and having traveled all around it and all of a sudden we meet during a time of crisis right to, to help others and that that uh, that unlikely uh, intersection and what the result has been as a result of that yeah isn't that something a lot of the tightest bonds are always formed around difficult situations right and Florence I think for for our area really for all the Carolinas was one of the most difficult times mm-hmm. in recent memory because the the destruction was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know we had at the hospital we had about ten percent of our entire employee base mm-hmm. that was facing severe damage of their homes. You, you know, it's interesting because around that time I was in a little bit of panic, and I'll tell you why. I was scheduled to do a two-hour training for some managers and leaders at McDonald's that was virtual, but we were without power for three days. So I traveled the city, again, unlikely intersections, right? And I came across a coffee house that had an upstairs office in which they had power and they had internet. And so I did the two-hour training upstairs in the coffee house, right? Um, But that just goes to show how every day we come across these unlikely intersections, right? And it's uh, truly, truly amazing. Yeah, I mean, Florence sort of opened my eyes to so many different things, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had been doing a ton of social determinant work in Mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That had started over a year before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But... uh, it was so fortunate that the intersections that had been created during that work really fed right into our ability to get into the community mm-hmm. during Florence, right? Because if we didn't have those relationships, you know, I'm sitting in there at, at the command center trying to figure out how to get relief different places. Well, because of all of our work across the community, I knew tons of people to just call and reach out to. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately what led to me being in Love Grove and meeting you that day. Yeah, that's right. right? As that's I right. knew who to talk to, and went. We delivered some uh, extra supplies that we had for from the hospital out into the community to different places, and ended up over there with you and Sam. Yep, I, I remember getting the call. I think it was that morning, and someone said, "Hey, Sam is going to be serving food over in Love Grove." I said, "Well, man, I'm going to go over there and help." And so uh, it, was a, it was a nice sunny day because, you know, the storm had basically passed. You know, you still had the power outages and the limbs down and all of that. But he chose a place that was pretty, uh, pretty open to everybody and people could access. So I pop up over there and, you know, not only am I serving people, but I'm, 
I'm serving myself too because the chicken was good. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the chicken. Was, all four of the pieces. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. The chicken was good, and you know we're serving plates. And like as I said, you know you got out the, the, of your truck and your your family, and I, so I got a chance to meet your family at the same time and had those Wilmington Hanover Hoggart kind of conversations and who was best and uh, the teams and the talent and you know that, that's for those who don't know that's special. Right, especially in, in, in Wilmington, because there's so many relationships that, and, and unlikely intersections simply because you may have attended a particular high school, but everybody knew everybody because we either played ball together in the summertime, we played ball together coming up in Little League. And so for those that you didn't meet coming up, to meet them now, those conversations are still extremely important. And you get the chance to understand um, how people have traveled in their life and unlikely intersections that they've had throughout their life as they've gone beyond that whole Hanover Hoggard rivalry. Yeah, it's a big, big web, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is it's, it's one thing to have the unlikely intersection, but then there's what happens next, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about our particular thing, I would give you the credit for what ultimately became the relationship that led to this show and everything else because we met, I went immediately back, command center for, mm -hmm. you know, getting out of the crisis. And it was, you know, it was an intensive work experience trying to do all these things that mm -hmm. needed to happen to deliver health across the region, mm -hmm. including to so many of our staff that were affected, uh, as well as my own stuff that had, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hurricane. Down. Right. And so, you know, time passed and were it not for you remembering and reconnecting, you know, that might have just been a one-time event. But right. isn't it great That's that right. it wasn't? Yeah, it, it was great that it wasn't because we're talking September to November, right? And we're talking about the Monday after Thanksgiving for the collard greens, that's right? right. <laughs> so we had that in common. That, that that's a likely intersection, oh, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and so yeah, I, I would agree with you. And it's over food, right? Like it's amazing the you know when you have those intersections over a meal, mm -hmm. somehow it makes a difference, right? That's one of the reasons why I always like to say food is medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just that healthy food is good for you and all these kind of things that we can talk about another time. It's because a lot of the fabric of our society is built around getting together, sharing a meal, fellowship mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that really sets you in a different place. Right. Because one of the things I think you and I share in common, because I remember that you said it and I was, as soon as you said it during that meal, I was like, absolutely. That's how I am too. You say, I trust up front. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. And so here we're two people that have met. We're meeting for the second time in our lives, you know, middle-aged dudes, <laughs> you know, over yeah. a meal, really yeah. don't know each other. Right, that's right. Got some commonalities. But we we trusted up front enough to have meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. And that led to some pretty important things that have happened in this town and beyond. Yeah, I would already agree. just would, in a really short time. I would agree with you one hundred percent. You know, I I just don't like to go through the mental calisthenics of it. Can I trust this guy? Can I trust this person? Right? Let me go ahead and trust up front. As I say, I give you an A, you earn an F, right? 
And uh, that's how I believe in re- in relationships. And we, I think we have to do that and have to think more like that uh, as humans, right? As we're going to accomplish more in life and, and get more done. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of a little foreshadowing. I got a book that's going to be coming out mm-hmm, early next mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the acronym behind it is tell me, mm-hmm. right? First thing is trust. Mm-hmm. T is for trust, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. E is for empathy. Mm-hmm. L is for listening. Mm-hmm. L again is, is limit, mm-hmm. limit certain things depending on the situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. M is maintain, whether that's friendships, whether mm-hmm. that's health, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And E is to eliminate all true barriers, right? Wow. And so if you think about the fact that we connected on some common heritage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that put us in an empathy space right away. Right. So Absolutely. here you got two dudes that trust up front and empathy exists. And then we're listening to each other. Cause we want to hear the stories that the other guy has about what it was like That's right. at Hoggard versus new Hanover. That's right. Right. <laughs> That's right. And so That's right. it set us up for success going forward. You know, whether that was engagements that you ended up getting, working through the hospital, whether mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. really the startup nonprofit that became NC Swim, whether that was any of several other things we've done in the community mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. you know, or whether that is ultimately me becoming a member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 mm-hmm. Coaches. Mm-hmm. All those things were born out of conversations and relationships that were based on trust, empathy, and just listening to one another to mm-hmm. understand you know, how could I potentially have a little bit of a positive impact right. on my friend, right? right? In, a, right. In, a, in, a, in a way that is purposeful and benefits a lot of people. And, and let me give you one example of that. I remember being at my mother's home early one morning a couple of years ago. And it, I want to say it was in August. And <clears throat> she had gotten up to get herself together for the day. And she tripped and she fell. She tripped and fell because she had on some bedroom shoes that she probably should have tossed away years ago. But who who am I to tell my mother which bedroom <laughs> shoes to wear and which ones not to wear? And so she tripped and fell. She broke her leg. And as I'm there uh, with her, uh, you know, hearing her go through the pain that she went through, one of the first people I thought about calling was you simply because I knew that you could kind of open the way for the service or the treatment that she needed. I remember calling you that morning. I said, hey, I have, I said, uh, you know, Doc, my mother has, um, she tripped, she fell, she broke her leg. I've I've called the rescue squad, and we're going to take her out to Cape Fear. And you said, you don't have anything to worry about. They'll be waiting for her when she gets there. And, you know, they'll give her the red carpet treatment. And so when my mother arrived in the ambulance, <laughs> I remember someone saying to her, you must be important. And she says, I am. <laughs> but it was all because of making the call to you, the friendship we had established, the trust that we had established. And, you know, it's just who you are. As a person, I've seen you do those kinds of things with other people as well. So it's embedded in who you are to do that. And and if I never said thank you for that and that I'm grateful, I am grateful. But that's just an example of 
how this relationship, an unlikely intersection, has happened over a very short period of time. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because the, the truth of it is, you know, your mother is one of our own, right? Right. As right. a long term uh, employee of New Hanover Regional. And it's obviously important to always take care of your own. Right. And that's kind of how I view the whole community. It's not mm. uncommon for people to reach out for different things, health related. I always try to help. I don't always get it right because right, it's such right. a complex, you know, it's such a complex world now in terms of disease management. And I'm just my background is vascular surgery. That's mm-hmm, what mm-hmm, I know and mm-hmm, what I've done. Mm-hmm. But I do know people, and you know, one of the things talking about trust in my career, one of the, my one of my aspirations was to just be a trusted person on the inside for anybody who needed to know, right? So as a vascular surgeon, it wasn't my goal to operate on everybody who needed a vascular surgery operation, but I wanted folks to feel comfortable asking me what I thought, whether that's who they should connect with for a given problem or what I thought about that problem. And then I would give them my best advice, best Mm -hmm. authentic opinion, Mm -hmm. and and we'd both be satisfied, right? Because I've said what I think is, is right. They have trusted in me for that opinion. And ultimately, it's their decision, right? And that's one of the things that's so challenging, not to get too much into medical care, but you know, one of the paradoxes that we don't get exactly right, this will be in the book too, mm-hmm. given all these book yeah. <laughs> Good but, plugs, good plugs. Right, right. <laughs> but the paradox is that the medical professionals are authorities on disease diagnosis and treatment Mm -hmm. but it's the patients and their support system who have authority to make decisions right so they have decision rights and when we get those two things confused we set people up for failure right because Mm -hmm. you have a different expectation on the behalf of the patient and the and the medical professional and that never works out well right we all need to get on the same page so we know what to expect, how it's going to go, and and it just makes things much better. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you say that about getting on the same page because you being a medical professional and the platform that you have because, of course, uh, Novant Health, uh, which was formerly New Hanover uh, Regional, a medical regional, is the largest employer, right? And we're going to get into this in another episode, but that trust is needed by the community, within the community, to have trust in that particular institution, right? And and as we see the needs of the community, of the region, you know, that trust has to be the same around whether it's uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, economics, um, you know, transforming this region as we know it today to be a better, bigger, healthier, uh, more robust economic region. You know, trust is major in all of that, too. And so we, we are experiencing some some challenges with that trust, given certain things that have happened here recently uh, it's, in this it's region. It's true. And some of it, quite honestly, is is unfortunate timing. Right. Because the truth of it is, is that COVID right by itself put us into a much lower trust environment. I mean, it, it you know, you never knew what to believe. The truth is we didn't know like a lot right. of this time, right? Like we start out very conservative trying to understand how to 
keep everybody safe, keep people from dying, right? right? But we learned a ton over the, over the time. And so what happened was when the advice kept changing, people got where, well, they got where it was hard to believe anything. Um, and that's just a tough environment to be in. Well, in the middle of that, we've got this multi-billion dollar acquisition of the health system, all the changes that were ushered in in terms of staffing across the country. Right. And the missing piece right now, I think, is that the whole truth of, of what the partnership is going to mean has yet to be told. Right. So talking about famous Wilmingtonians, you know, Michael Jordan gave us $10 million to build two clinics. Those are access based clinics in historically underserved communities. That's a great thing. Right. And there are tons of other th good and awesome health changes that are going to occur right now in the acute care setting in the hospital it is just very very difficult right now and that has to do with staffing it has to do with morale it has to do with the fact that a lot of times now even patients don't trust the environment that they're coming into and that just sets us up for so many bad things, right? Because if, if you're in a low trust environment, mm -hmm. are you going to really be forthcoming and telling somebody what's wrong with you? Or are you going to tell them what you think is enough and hope it is? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a dilemma that we face. And, you know, <clears throat> the pandemic exposed a great deal, right? It, it, it exposed how fragile we are as, as human beings. It exposed how fragile our systems are to include healthcare. Uh, we can take a look at logistics, right, and, and, and all that's going on. You walk into the grocery stores today, whether it's here in Wilmington or whether it's in Los Angeles, and guess what? Some of the shelves are bare, right, because of what the pandemic, you know, um, I like to say that the pandemic put us at the intersection of instinct and intellect, right, because you got to figure out which one to use. Do you use your instinct? Do you use over intellect? Do you use intellect over instinct? Is it a combination of the two? Because we've never been here before. And this has created what I like to say a new reality. Not a new normal, but this is a new reality. And every day is a new step. And it's creating much more unlikely intersections in all that we do every day as we move forward from uh, or move further into this thing called the pandemic. Absolutely. You know, and the interesting thing is these unlikely intersections occur, and it turns out because people aren't familiar with how to handle things like that, there are lots of crashes. That's right. <laughs> there are lots That's of crashes, right. and right. you see all these bizarre things maybe that you would never have imagined. You know, you never would imagine the amount of, I would say, fear, maybe it's anger that is inside of people based on what they've been through uh, that comes out in all these different ways, whether you talk about an increase in violence, whether you talk about crazy things that happen on the highway, whether you talk about just the level of basic human civility that people are treating one another with. I mean, we see it all the time in the healthcare setting uh, when folks are coming in. I mean, you've got all these assaults in emergency rooms across the country. Mm -hmm. some fatal mm -hmm. right and it's just different I mean who would have thought that 
the environment would be dangerous in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there have been some some key some key terms, right, that people have been talking about, especially in the business space, right? And we use it every day, the uncertainty and the ambiguity of it all, right? And when we think about uncertainty and ambiguity, it's always existed. But the pandemic, man, it just brought a, an acute awareness to those two terms of ambiguity and uncertainty and how people are going to uh, operate throughout their, their day, not knowing whether or not they go to the grocery store and if there's milk there or if there's water there. And now we're coming upon hurricane season in this area, right? And so that even even puts more of a strain on, on our, our system as we saw back in uh, with Florence, the destruction that happened, how long it took the power to get back. And then I think it was doing Florence when we we experienced the gasoline where the prices went up because they couldn't get gasoline to this area, right? And there are other areas in the country the same way, right? So it's, it's going to be real interesting this fall during hurricane season to see how much more we are stretched, but how many more unlikely intersections will happen. So we can look at it one of a couple ways. We can say, well, you know, man, this is, this is not a good time. Or what are the opportunities that, that present themselves because of these unlikely intersections? Yeah, you know, it's all about the it's all about the opportunities, right? right? It's about seeing them. It's about maybe having a high enough level of trust to be able to listen and understand, right? Because that's the thing. It, sometimes if we can just take that pause, if we can just make that minimal investment in time to hear somebody out, maybe walk a mile in their shoes yes. and figure it out, you know? Because we've seen that, right? So this whole concept of walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, we saw that play out in COVID in very historical patterns. And early on in the pandemic, we saw just massive, massive differences in outcomes between white people mm -hmm. and people of color. Mm -hmm. These are historic patterns. And when it came, we finally really started figuring out that when it came to vaccines, Mm -hmm. We needed to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud. Our system actually had the most ambitious goal across the state, which was to eliminate vaccine disparities, right? Mm -hmm. To not have any difference in the vaccination rates of the different populations. Mm -hmm. So what did we do? Mm -hmm. We connected with folks in different ways, unlikely intersections, mm -hmm. have vaccine events in churches, have outreach into different communities, you know, specific to how those folks can access the health system, right? Maybe mm -hmm. it wasn't a standard hours. Mm -hmm. Maybe we set up a vaccination uh, mega operation mm -hmm. at a movie theater, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. often do you think mm -hmm. of a movie theater and the health system coming together, mm -hmm. a really unlikely intersection mm -hmm. that saved no telling how many lives in our region and became a national model, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've learned from that and we need to build on that, mm -hmm. right? Because when we look at what's happening in health, these patterns are the same. They've been the same for generations That's and right. generations. And we've got this new threat. You and I were talking earlier today Artificial intelligence yes. can either really help us or it can cement these patterns in place That's right. for generations to come. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and 
I'm sh- we're going to get more in in depth in in that conversation around AI. You know, in the future uh, episodes, as you talk about uh, um, what is it, destination health, and tw- what your vision is for health into in 2030. Absolutely. Yeah, that and, and you know, even though it's a regional vision, it's a North Carolina vision. It should be destination health across the country, right? Because everyone should be looking toward health equity, right? Because it's more inclusive than just mental, physical, and spiritual health. We're talking economic health as well, right? And so uh, I, I can't wait to hear more about that, you know, when we, when we have that episode. Yeah, and, it, you know, Terry, the thing is, is that health would translate that way, right? Like if you take how we're even looking at it now, between February of this year and May, we scaled our measurement apparatus from seven or eight southeastern North Carolina counties to 100 mm. North Carolina counties. And this same technology could be across the country. But see, we got to understand that, again, in the wake of the pandemic, there is no reason to think that we will ever go back to the levels of staffing that we formerly expected in the acute care setting. So we have to do things much differently. So we have to do things much differently. And some people might call that transforming mm-hmm. health. I like to say transforming health because I'd like to make the distinction that health and medical care are different things. Mm-hmm. We say health care. That's really an oxymoron, right? Because if you have health, you don't need much care <laughs> yeah, that's right. in the way we define right. it, right? right? You need care in different ways in the other dimensions you talk about, whether it's economic, whether it's all these other things. But medical care and health are, are in need of distinction from one another, and we need to start thinking about it that way, thinking about if you do end up in a healthcare facility, especially an acute care facility, health has failed. Yes. And you're in yes. a whole different place. Yes. Yes. So I'd love for us to, you know, think about things that way differently. And that ultimately is how you scale it across the country to make to make America as healthy as we ought to be based on our level of prosperity. Which right now we ought to be embarrassed. And those of us who live in the in the health and medical care space we are embarrassed by our performance on a global stage because you know we we rank in there in the you know in the bottom of developed countries for most measures that are looked right, at. It's right. ridiculous. And you know that vision alone of transforming healthcare and and redefining what healthcare actually is, um, that's going to generate some unlikely intersections, not only in this region but across the country. Absolutely. And you think about, you know, you get Amazon playing in these spaces, you get Walmart, you get CVS, which is a little closer, but they're in the provider space a little more now. Lots of those things are being experimented with and something may take off. I don't know. What I do know is that we really have to challenge ourselves to think differently, which for us, I'm an industry insider, right? Mm -hmm. So I've Mm -hmm. been on the on the del- healthcare delivery side, mm-hmm. as a surgeon, mm-hmm. as a 
top executive in a health system. And some days I wonder if folks like me don't need to just take a step back. Mm. Right. Like, and say, it's been done a certain way for so long. We keep getting the same result. Let me take a step back and let's, let's make some room for some fresh ideas of how we could really do it better. Right. Or maybe let me apply myself outside of that, you know, hyper-specialized medical care arena and start thinking about health, That's right? Because maybe it's, maybe it's a role reversal. Insiders start thinking about health and folks who really maybe have not been in the inner circle of what we have called the healthcare industry really begin to think about medical care. It's another unlikely intersection in a different kind of way, right? And those kind of conversations need to happen because what we're doing clearly is not delivering health. It seems like we're doing pretty good on time. But before we leave, let's talk about one or two additional topics that are important to uh, both you and I, to the region. And actually, when you look at it, it's really important to um, the country. And that is you started an organization a couple of years ago called NC Swim. I like to get into that story of why you started that uh, organization and what your experience was to start that, that organization. Oh, yeah. It so kind of reminds me of a saying that I've heard you say many times, right? Sometimes you have to act your way to thinking. Mm-hmm. And so the NC Swim story is is deep, so to speak, <laughs> right? To yeah, use a, yeah, a, yeah, a swim yeah. metaphor. So long story short, you know, there were a small group of parents who found a, themselves with a team without any place to swim. And the kids, we'd, folks were going all the way to Brunswick County to swim way down at the, at the BCC natatorium mm-hmm. and find a time where they, where they could. And so we really, as parents started doing an exhaustive search locally of where we might be able to swim because we'd been excluded from facilities like the YMCA, YWCA, and Mm -hmm. and uh, UNCW pool had other commitments. And so we started really thinking about, okay, what's available? So, you know, we looked around, there are these municipal facilities, whether you talk about Robert Strange Park, whether you talk about Legion, Northside. And as we were sitting around a small table, not much bigger than this one, it suddenly hit me about the community health assessment that New Hanover Regional had done in the north side. Mm-hmm. And one of the asks was for safe places to exercise. Mm-hmm. So we put that together, right, and said, okay, let's make our team something bigger than just a competitive swim team for a bunch of privileged kids. And so out of that was born the learn to swim free lessons for kids from North Side. Mm-hmm. And that program grew. It's so amazing. I remember the very first session that we had, 37 kids, mm-hmm. right? And the question immediately was from a parent. It says, when can we learn? Right. Right, because if, if our kids are going to be exposed to this opportunity, we need to have some competence to 
help them to to be safe and everything. And so very rapidly, the program went from learn to swim and basic water safety for kids to multi-generational. And that's where it is now, not only in partnership with City of Wilmington and Red Cross Centennial Program, but also UNCW. We have water aerobics. We have all of this to make swimming an inclusive sport. I mean, it's worthy of its own show at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, but I will tell one story that I think is emblematic of mm-hmm. Wilmington because we – again, had these relationships that developed out of this program, right? We had scholarship programs for kids from the north side who couldn't afford to join the team if they had interest in swimming, and from that, relationships came. And I'll never forget, around Christmas, I was over in north side off of 8th Street, and we were putting together a bunk bed for one of the families as a Mm -hmm. Christmas present because they had had Florence problems, right? They Mm -hmm. had relocated several times during Florence, finally found a stable housing situation you know over a year later and we're putting together uh this bunk bed and so my wife has the idea let's just order pizza for everybody Mm -hmm. it's right over on 8th street i mean it is no Mm -hmm. it is a few hundred yards from where we sit Mm -hmm. right in the middle of the city of wilmington so she orders it on the app on her phone and everything and you know we get the bed put all the way together with no pizza (laughs) right like what in the world is going on so anyway, long story short, she ultimately finds out that Domino's doesn't deliver after dark to 8th Street in Northside. And for her, my wife, and for our kids, that was something they had never experienced and didn't realize was real. And as we were problem solving and working through mm-hmm. with the family, what what we should do, right? Because we're all hungry on something to eat. The comment that struck me the most and has really stuck with me is that the mother said, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. That's just what it's like to live here. Hmm. Right. And I think we can do better. Right. Like that's a place to act your way to thinking. Right. What does inclusion really look like? Because, I mean, Domino's Pizza is less than two miles from where we were. And in fact, we were driving by it on the way home. You know, and it's not a franchise thing. I don't mean to demean Domino's, it's a local ownership thing in that particular case. But you know, the thing is, is that those kind of barriers don't need to be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking about humanity, right? When we can move past some of the false obstacles we may see to understand that we're really dealing with just human beings, right? Understand that they may have made a policy around a business decision given some experiences in that particular area or trying to prevent certain experiences from happening. But at the end of the day, we're still dealing with human beings and we have to be mindful of that. Well, that's the thing is recognizing one another's humanity is where it starts. Mm -hmm. And we see this in the diversity, equity and inclusion space. And we see that, we see that gap all the time, right? Is that, 
there's no less than, but there sure is a perception of that in many cases. And mm-hmm. that just keeps us, keeps us stuck in the same place, whether you talk about health, whether you talk about economic prosperity, whether you talk about the history of Wilmington and, you know, problems that have happened over a hundred years ago mm-hmm. that have set us up for many of the, many of the disparities that we see now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, they're just patterns, right? But it starts with that humanity piece. That's right. And I'm always moved to wonder why is that? And when does it change? Right. Mm-hmm. Because like we talked about our experiences coming up, mm-hmm. you know, you go through, you go through school, you are typically in our day, it was there. Uh, integration was heavy, mm-hmm. maybe less so now, whole mm-hmm. other topic. Right. But you know, what happens along the way, you know, cause we're, we are good friends. We are competitors, mm-hmm. collegial mostly. Mm-hmm. And it's, bizarre to think that all of a sudden at at some future point that collaboration that teamwork that belonging yes changes yeah yeah it's um i often wonder and 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 because if you'd have told me when i was in junior high and high school that today we would still have some of the issues that we have I would have told you at that time that you were wrong because I just visualized a more diverse and inclusive society based upon playing sports and playing ball and how friendly and brotherly we were. You know, I like to use the phrase, we bled together, we sweated together, we cried together on the field, right? That builds a bond to me. And whatever happens where that bond doesn't, is not as, um, it doesn't mean as much, that's bothersome to me, right? And so I often ask the question, so what happened, you know, when all of a sudden those bonds, we don't contact each other anymore. We rarely see each other anymore. And, and you look at society and knowing that we played sports against and, and, and we're just not as cohesive as we were. You know, what happens? Um, it's, it's always interesting um, to me to hear the excuses because that's all they are because we've done it before. So why do we get away from it? Because sports is probably, from an institution of bringing people together, it's probably, well, people, like I said, you cry, you, you bleed, and you, and you perspire together, right? And uh, it's, it's, just, it's just difficult for me not to see uh, what I thought would be, given uh, where we are in, in 2022. And that begs the question, what does it take yeah. to make it be more like the vision that you had the expectation that I frankly had as well uh, at the same stage of life. What does it take and what might that look like for us? Yeah. Um, what do we have to do? And more importantly, what do we need to stop doing? Right. Cause there's a lot of things we need to stop doing in order for us to, to come uh, closer together as a society, you know, cause you know, there are 
again, policies and barriers that sometimes are put in place. And so what do we need to stop to do? Stop doing what do we need to end? Uh, and then what we need to start doing as well, as you mentioned. One of the things that has struck me, especially as over the last five or six years, as as I've personally gotten deeply into into this work in the communities, is proximity. Mm-hmm. You know, the, to quote Brian Stevenson's mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. one thing, proximity, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, the NC Swim story, along with all the other health factors, kind of took me to a space. And at first, it's it's uncomfortable, right? And you, as you're close to these disparities, to these things that you feel like are unjust that shouldn't be, these policy differences, whatever the case may be, you're uncomfortable. And, and there's a decision point there, right? Do you step away from the discomfort or do you stay in it? And for me, the choice was to stay in it. And over time, a pretty short time, I began to realize that I was staying in it no longer despite my discomfort, but because I was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point, I think, that I began to be able to make a, a better difference, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it, it really attached to my sense of purpose and, and a core value of justice that for some reason I have, I guess, my mom and dad instilled yeah, yeah, it in me or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it was that it was that shift, right, to stay with it beyond the point of being uncomfortable and ultimately be staying with it because I was uncomfortable, because those things shouldn't be allowed to persist. There should be something better. Yeah, I would agree with you. And it's interesting because from your perspective, you know, you're, you can be comfortable if you choose, right, but you're choosing to be uncomfortable because of the that whole justice paradigm that's been embedded in you by your parents and so you're looking at it from kind of the outside in a different perspective whereas there's certain people who are walking in it every day right and so they become comfortable with the way that this system is and it's okay and for me, I was, I've never been comfortable with the way that the system is, right? It's, uh, I, I'm a born nonconformist, you know? So if you tell me the sky is blue, I'm gonna tell you something different, right? <laughs> Intentionally, <laughs> because that's just how I'm built. However, you know, to walk in it on a day-to-day basis, and more importantly, to be able to speak it, and speak it in such a way that it's still respectful to everyone how you portray the situation. Because oftentimes these kinds of topics bring about a great deal of emotion and people become emotional and you know the conversation changes, the language changes, but to be able to do it in a calm fashion so that people can understand or have a get a at least receive a different perspective of what it actually is, right? And there are a lot of people who don't want to understand what that perspective actually is because they're so rooted in the status quo and the status quo has always been the enemy absolutely it's it's interesting it kind of you know that's where those personal hurdles come up for folks right Mm -hmm. is uh, a sense of responsibility 
to take on change, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's paradoxical because a lot of the people who are in a position to make change didn't make the system the way it was necessarily. They've certainly benefited mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of courage to step out and suggest that things need to be done differently. And it it tricks a person, I think, a lot of times into to a false sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. 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 And folks have a, they retreat from that more commonly than anything mm-hmm. else, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't harbor any illusion that I caused the current state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm fully aware that it the current state has benefited me mm-hmm. and that I own some of the responsibility for taking things more toward the ideal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if we, and if a lot of people do that, we can get places. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's uh, it's it's just amazing, you know. Sometimes to step into certain spaces and uh, just to hear the conversation, right? But conversation is what's needed. Right? With with I'm not gonna say without the emotion, but to minimize the emotion so that you have more understanding or, or seek more understanding. Uh, around another human being's plight, right? Because that's what it should be. I'm trying to understand another human being and what their experiences are because their experiences is, their experiences make them who they are. And all oh, that's all that's all I want to know. That's all I want to. What, what do you you know? Tell me about your experiences. Your experience. It's like I talk to you and I say, well, Doc, man, you have a different perspective around leadership because having been a surgeon, you've had life death right at your hands and so from a leader's perspective there are very few leaders who have that perspective and so you know most leadership decisions are not around life and death you know they're around something else and people are going to live on and move on to the next day but though your experiences life and death experiences i i just i just referenced you the other day i was talking to um a group of people um and we were talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you know how people see di- people differently. And I said, "Well, I have a friend who was a surgeon, and guess what? He told me when he cut them open, everybody looked the same." <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's there is an illusion mm. that the business decisions are not life and death, mm. because mm. if you look at what's happening in this country. I would submit to you that in many cases they are. Mm. Mm. And we have to be, we can just look at the disparities in life outcomes to see who the casualties are, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that that is difficult for people to see. Mm-hmm. And it's a place in my career in leadership that I've always struggled, even in even in healthcare leadership, right? Because I'm looking at where business decisions are made that I think may be risky, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to attach that person to the fact that you know certain decisions really are life or death, mm-hmm. right? Do you have things a certain way that sets up the safest environment? Do you have you know the right equipment? Have you invested at the right pace? And a lot of people in healthcare actually are coming around to getting that, but it's it's hard, you know, because the truth of it is, is it feels safer to be able to use 
three words that say it's just business. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. feels safer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. personal to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But if you're the surgeon, your business is personal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yes, when you cut them open, they all look the same. And yes, in a lot of specialties like mine, there come points in time where you understand that if you can't solve a problem with your team in the room, then the patient may not make it out alive. Right. And it is a different, it is a different um, emotion that gets evoked in that, in that setting. And it, and it makes it seem high stakes relative to some of the business decisions in healthcare. But I would say that the main difference is actually scale. Mm, okay. Right? Because in that room, I'm talking about what happens to one person. Those business decisions are scaled across the whole population that's served in a given situation. And so we really, I mean, I say that to indicate we, we do take great care with those decisions. We don't always get them right. And we have to really scrutinize our, our data, our mm-hmm. outcomes, and mm-hmm. our impact, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not trying to do harmful things, right? But sometimes your intention may have flaws that you don't discover until later. So we have to not measure intention. We have to measure impact, impact. what actually happened. And we have to do it faster cycle than, than we often have to understand so we can adjust more quickly. Yeah. That sounds like uh, that whole uh, agility concept, right? When they when they when they when they're developing software, right? It's it's an iterative process, right? You get to a certain phase, you re- you, re- you review and you want to review fast, so that you continue to process, so you continue to develop, right? And that you at the end of that development, you got it right. So what you're talking about in surgery is, hey, we got we got a team in here, we got to meet whatever these obstacles are in such a fashion, hopefully that the patient makes it out. Alive. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. It's not alive. Right. And then this whole transition to health as opposed to medical care. Yes. Is how do you make that easier? How do you do things that don't get you into the risky situation health wise in the first place? That's our current, that's our current state, right? Like how do we move in that direction? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, um, I once heard someone say our best our best thoughts have us where we are today, right? So you need to have those unlikely intersections with different people and different experiences that enables different perspective and different ways of thought, right? So with that, I think this unlikely intersection is, will be one that is extremely profitable and fruitful for for uh, the region as well as for the country. And I think, I think that really sets us up to a good place to finish this one up. What a great conversation. Yes. Like, like, like a lot of times, uh, you always make me think, Terry. Um, and I look forward to further conversations where we really talk about this concept of health, how we get there, and I bet you we come up with some really good questions. Yep, I look forward to the following Uh, episodes as well and going deeper into some of these topics that we kind of touched on today because I think it's going to be helpful uh, for not only the region, uh, for the country, 
and it will cause further conversation to happen and hopefully some more unlikely intersections. To get a little bit more information on this, I'd love to invite our listeners to come to unlikelyintersections.com, track me down uh, on LinkedIn at Doc Philip Brown, and you are? And you can track me down on LinkedIn, Terry Jackson, PhD, as well. And so we look forward to your responses, to your questions, to having further conversation with you about all of the topics that we've discussed today. Have a great day. We'll see you on the next episode.